This is The Guardian. I'm Laura Murphy-Oates, and this is The Full Story. China and Solomon Islands are preparing to sign an historic agreement, one that could increase the presence of Chinese military and security personnel in the country. This deal and the growing presence of China in the Asia-Pacific region has some in Canberra worried. We are very concerned of any activity that is taking place in the Pacific Islands. This would uh, have real implications for the region and is of concern. So why was this deal made? And does it pose a legitimate security threat to Australia and the region, as some have claimed? Today, why China's security deal with Solomon Islands has Australia worried. It's Wednesday, the 6th of April. So, Dan, when you and I first spoke about this deal between China and Solomon Islands, you sent me a link to a tweet that had a series of photos of a printed-out version of the deal. It was only about a few pages long. Is this how the rest of the world found out about this very important deal through a tweet? Yes, Laura, basically it is. Um, It does seem this is how most people found out about it. It was a leak and they first appeared on social media two weeks ago. Daniel Hurst is Guardian Australia's defence correspondent. So for a couple of hours, it wasn't clear to journalists and others whether it was real, but it became apparent that it was real. It's an early version of a draft. It's not clear who leaked it, but Solomon Islands government quickly defended its negotiations. And there's been a bit of contention about whether the Australian government knew about this at all. Happy to take questions on other matters. Scott Morrison claims he wasn't blindsided by it. And the Deputy PM, Barnaby Joyce, has also denied that this came as a surprise. Does that stand up, that this didn't take Australia by surprise, this deal? Well, the government did know that there was an increasing interest by China in deepening those ties with Solomon Islands, but it is clear that the leaked draft agreement took Canberra by surprise. I mean, the Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, said as much when she spoke to a Senate Estimates hearing last Friday when she was asked when she first became aware of the proposed deal. When it became public in the, um, I think it was a social media post, on the 24th of March. Okay, so Dan, what exactly is in this deal, which, as you said, is a draft, it may not be the final deal that Solomon Islands Parliament signs off on? Yeah, and that fact that it's a draft is important. Um, It still needs to go through Solomon Islands Cabinet and be signed off by the two foreign ministers, but it spells out a system for Solomon Islands to be able to request assistance from Chinese police, armed police, military personnel and other armed forces, and that could be for purposes like maintaining social order, protecting lives and property. Mm. So it's quite broadly worded. Many are concerned it could be a stepping stone to a future Chinese naval base, which would mean that warships could be stationed less than 2,000 kilometres from Australia's east coast. Mm. What is the exact text that gives rise to this concern that there could be a future Chinese naval base in the Pacific quite close to Australia? So the draft text says China may, according to its own needs and with the consent of Solomon Islands, make ship visits to carry out logistical replenishment in and have stopover and transition in Solomon Islands. And it says the relevant forces of China can be used to protect the safety of Chinese personnel and major projects in Solomon Islands. Mm. 
So that's the part of the document that gives rise to that concern. But since the document leaked, the government of Solomon Islands has insisted it has no intention whatsoever of allowing a Chinese naval base. And it's also indicated the final version will probably be worded differently. Mm, But despite this denial from Solomon Islands government, there has been a lot of focus on this idea that there could be this Chinese naval base in our region, in the Pacific. What kind of comments have we heard about that over the last few weeks, Dan? The initial response from the Australian government was one of alarm. While treading cautiously in expressing those concerns, it's clear they were very worried. The Home Affairs Minister, Karen Andrews, wasn't impressed. She says she's really concerned by this development. In relation to the Pacific region, that is, uh, that is our backyard, that is our neighbourhood, and we are very concerned of any activity that is taking place in the Pacific Islands. Our Pacific Island friends know that we are there to support them. And the Defence Minister, Peter Dutton, echoed those worries. We would be concerned clearly about uh, any military base being established and we would uh, express that to the Solomon Islands government. Dutton went on to say Australia had a great relationship with Solomon Islands but suggested that they needed to be wary of China. It's a a standing agenda item for all of us uh, to be able to be realistic about uh, China's uh, footprint, their exertion, their pressure and the way in which they conduct their business. Uh, I don't think it's consistent with the values that we share with the Solomon Islands. The opposition has also raised its concerns but isn't really specific about what it would do differently. The opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, went as far as saying... Well, Australia needs to be a partner of choice in the Pacific. Uh, We were uh, that for a long period of time. I think when this government came to office and withdrew funding uh, in terms of its aid and its presence in the Pacific, uh, that was an error of judgement. And Albanese's shadow assistant treasurer, Stephen Jones, told the ABC the coalition had dropped the ball on Solomon Islands. So, Dan, from everything you've just told me, I'm hearing two main concerns coming from Canberra. There's a concern about a possible security risk from China growing their presence in our region, and also concerns that Australia's relationship with Solomon Islands and our influence in the Pacific is is waning, and this deal is kind of a sign of that. So I want to break those two things down, starting with security. How concerned should we be about this deal? Does it pose a genuine security risk? Well, I spoke to Richard Maud, a former Australian intelligence chief. He's now a senior fellow at the Asia Society Policy Institute. Maud thinks it's a bad development for Australia's security, and he suggests that it could open the door in the future to stronger and more frequent Chinese military presence in the Pacific. So, for example, Maud said it potentially makes it easier to eavesdrop on Australia. It makes it easier for China to interfere in the Mm. affairs of island countries. He said it could spark responses from other countries, including Australia, which would lead to a more crowded Pacific in a military sense. None of that's good for the stability of the Pacific, he said. What does he mean by sparking responses and a more crowded Pacific there? He means that if there's a Chinese military presence in Solomon Islands, that it could lead to other countries like Australia, New Zealand and the US looking to bolster its own presence in the region. So a bit of a build-up, which he's suggesting wouldn't be good for the Pacific generally. Right. And have those concerns been echoed elsewhere? Yes. So um, Lieutenant General Greg Bilton, who's the Chief of Joint Operations for the Australian Defence Force, was quite frank when he spoke to reporters last week. He said it does change the calculus if Chinese naval vessels are operating from Solomon Islands. He said it would change the way we would undertake day-to-day operations, particularly in the air and sea. So essentially, Australia would adjust the way it was flying and, and sailing around the 
the region uh, to mm. account for the Chinese presence. And others have told me that in the longer term, Australian strategists would have to factor in the risk of disruptions to supply lanes between the US and Australia in a future you know, military crisis. So like that's a, that's an extreme situation, but it's, you know, Solomon Islands is geographically between the US and Australia. So that's a, that's a sort of strategic planning issue. Mm. But the Prime Minister of Solomon Islands, Manase Sogavare, said it was utter nonsense that China's presence in the region was a threat to security. Where does that nonsense come from? And there is no intention whatsoever, Mr. Speaker, to ask China to build a military base in Solomon Islands. Right. As you said, Solomon Islands government denies that this is a stepping stone to a naval base. So why the ongoing concern if they say, look, that there's no naval base in the future here? So uh, some, such as Peter Dutton, have essentially said it's hard to take Beijing's promises at face value. He pointed to the fact that Xi Jinping said back in 2015 that China does not intend to pursue militarisation in the South China Sea. But Dutton says China now has a significant military presence in the South China Sea. And there was a US military commander last month who said China has now fully militarised at least three of the islands it built in this disputed region. That's included arming them with anti-ship and anti-aircraft missile systems, laser and jamming equipment and fighter jets. So essentially what Dutton's saying is, you know, whatever China's saying now, look ahead to what could be its intentions down the track. Right. So Dutton is saying you can't necessarily trust China, look at their track record, but doesn't that kind of ignore the agency of Solomon Islands? They say this isn't going to happen. Well, yes, it does. And that's the point that Sogavare makes. He recently took aim at Australian media for implying that China was pressuring Solomon Islands into a treaty, calling the claims unfounded and very insulting. We find it very insulting, Mr Speaker, to be branded as unfit to manage our sovereign affairs or have other motives in pursuing our national interests. The security treaty, Mr. Speaker, is pursued at the request of Solomon Islands. We are not pressured in any way by our new friends. Next, has Australia dropped the ball and lost influence in the Pacific region? Okay, so what about this second concern, Dan, that this deal shows Australia has dropped the ball when it comes to the Solomon Islands and has generally just lost influence in the region? We do know that Australia and China are competing for influence in the Pacific. Can you tell me a little bit about that that history? Yeah, so Australia does have strong ties to Solomon Islands. Uh, we were a key member of the regional assistance mission to Solomon Islands that was you know, pretty well known as Ramsey from 2003 to 2017. And then Australia negotiated a bilateral security deal with Solomon Islands in 2017. And Scott Morrison says Australia is always the first call when a crisis arises. Australia is a leader in the Pacific region, in our Pacific family. But I think events that you've seen most recently, I think only highlight the constant pressure and the constant push that is coming into, into the region from interests that are not aligned with Australia's and not aligned with those of the Pacific more broadly. So, for example, when there was unrest in Solomon Islands in November, the Australian Federal Police and the Australian Defence Force were quickly dispatched. There are currently about 60 
AFP and ADF personnel still in Solomon Islands. Mm. And that mission has now been extended to next year. So there's a bit of a sort of, look, we're there and we're continuing to assist and this is being extended. Australia is also involved in development aid and infrastructure through what they've called the Pacific Step Up Program. It's, you know, overall, it's billions of dollars to the region. And Foreign Minister Payne said Australia was Solomon Islands' largest development partner by a long way, providing about two-thirds of all assistance. Mm. Okay, so why is the opposition claiming that we've dropped the ball here, considering this history? Well, Anthony Albanese has pointed to year-by-year budget figures showing a drop in aid under the coalition to Solomon Islands over the years, and he suggests this, together with our climate stance, may have adversely affected Australia's relationship with it. And this is a point that the opposition leader of Solomon Islands, Matthew Wiley, has picked up on. In an opinion piece for Guardian Australia last week, he said Australia has been, to some extent, neglectful in the region over the past decade. Now, about that claim of a cut in aid, it's clear that some of Australia's aid to Solomon Islands has jumped around over the years. Figures show Australia's official development assistance to Solomon Islands was $156 million in the 2021-2022 budget, but that was 12.6% lower than 2014-15. So, you know, it looks like there's been a cut. Story is a little bit more complex. There have been some one-off initiatives. There's been additional COVID-related support to the region. But we know that there isn't huge political appetite in Canberra for huge increases in aid spending, at least compared with the the increases in defence spending that we're seeing. Mm. Right. So that's Australia's history with the region. What has China been doing throughout this time? Well, China's been courting Pacific countries, including Solomon Islands. And the major development in that has been 2019, when China successfully persuaded Solomon Islands to change its relationship. Um, Basically, Solomon Islands broke off diplomatic ties with Taiwan and instead formed a relationship with the People's Republic of China. Right. We covered this in a podcast late last year. This was a big shift for Solomon Islands, this changing of relationships from Taiwan to China. What did that kind of lead to? Was there a closening of ties after that? There has been a closening of ties between China and Solomon Islands. By switching, it sort of unlocked opportunities for Solomon Islands to get a big slice of infrastructure and development funding from China. There have been other offers of help um, with police training and so on. Basically, that switch in 2019, which remains controversial in Solomon Islands, has led the way for these growing ties, which have been quite rapid if you look back at how quickly we've got to this point since 2019. And for years, uh, Xi Jinping has been using his signature Belt and Road Initiative uh, to offer uh, huge uh, amounts of money towards projects in the Pacific and elsewhere, and that's part of building China's influence and deepening those relationships. Over the years, more and more countries have been signing up for help under the Belt and Road Initiative. The Australian government has previously raised concerns about strings that might be attached to offers of help under that scheme, and they've continued to raise those concerns now. The rest of the world, our our, our partners and our allies, understand that it's Australia working together with New Zealand, understand what's happening in the Pacific. Now, there are others who may seek to pretend to influence and to seek to get some sort of foothold in the region. And we're very conscious of that. So against China's influence and growing influence in the region, did Australia do enough? Did they, in fact, drop the ball, as the opposition claims? Well, it's important to say that Prime Minister Sogavare is not framing it in this way. Mm. He says the move's merely an extension of Solomon Islands' 
foreign policy of friends to all, enemies to none. We have friends to all and enemies to none. We have no intention, Mr. Speaker, of pitching into any geopolitical power struggle. Basically, they won't align to the US or China. That Solomon Islands security arrangement with Australia remains in place, intact. And he's also said that traditional security partners like Australia and New Zealand will always be important. But he says that the country wants to diversify and broaden its relationships. In moving forward, Mr. Speaker, to achieve our security needs, it is clear that we need to diversify the country's relationship with our partners. And what is wrong with that? And get assistance with things like cybersecurity, illegal fishing, border security, international trade and climate change. And he says that Solomon Islands welcomes any country that's willing to support us in the security space. There's no devious intention, no secret plan. There's no devious intention, no secret plan. This is a decision by a sovereign nation that has its national interests at heart. Right. So I I feel like implicit in that statement is his acknowledgement that they are a small player on the international stage and they should be able to partner with whoever's going to further their interests. Is that kind of what he's saying there? Yeah, he's saying, please respect our sovereignty. We're not trying to make enemies and we're doing what we believe is in our interests. And Mm. um, this is something that's delicate for Australia because for the last few years, Australia has been saying that it wants countries big and small across the whole Indo-Pacific region to be able to make sovereign decisions uh, free of coercion. Uh, And so we can hardly be seen to be telling them what to do. But experts have said there is more that Australia could be doing in the region. Uh, For example, Richard Maud has called for an across-the-board increase in foreign aid, says we're not spending enough for the times we're in. Mm. And another huge issue for the region, of course, is climate change. As we've reported in The Guardian many times, across Pacific neighbours, there's a lot of anger, resentment and lost trust in Australia as a result of our climate policies. Mm. And you know, our coal exports as well. It's important to note that Pacific leaders have called the climate crisis the most significant security threat to the region, not geopolitical tensions with China and the US and by default Australia. This is a very real sticking point. Right, but if this issue has been a sticking point between Solomon Islands and Australia, what about China's track record on climate change and emissions? Surely that would also be a sticking point. Mm. And yes, and nobody's saying China necessarily is a climate leader, but mm. it's the, the argument is that we would have more credibility, more trust if we were to act more strongly on the concerns that Pacific Island nations have repeatedly, repeatedly expressed. And also, it's a really well-established principle in international climate negotiations that developed nations, which include Australia, are meant to go first in cutting emissions, Mm. and developing nations are then following behind them. And according to our Pacific editor, Kate Lyons, Australia and China are viewed a bit differently by Pacific leaders on this issue. And that's partly because Australia, and specifically Scott Morrison, like to talk about how it's in the Pacific family, that we're Pacific neighbours. China doesn't exactly do that. It says it's a partner of the region, but it's not part of the region. So there's a sense of if you're claiming to be family, why are your environmental and economic policies threatening our very existence? Do you think that this deal has been a wake-up call, not only for the coalition, but for whoever might get into power post the election in a couple of months? And what do you think we'll see going forward? 
Yes, I think it has been a huge wake-up call. Like a lot of the discussion about what China's doing in the region has seemed theoretical at times. This is a sort of shock to the system. I think it'll be of concern to whichever party wins the election. We know that some of these talks will have to take place during the caretaker mode, during mm. the coming election campaign, and if. If that's the case, there'll be senior DFAT officials who'll be involved in those talks. But the decisions taken now will have a long-term impact on the whole region and on Australia. That was Daniel Hurst, Guardian Australia's defence correspondent. You can read more of his reporting on Australia's relationship with Solomon Islands at theguardian.com. We've also linked to his latest piece on the Full Story page, titled Australia Anxious to Show It Didn't Drop the Ball on Pacific After China and Solomon Islands Deal. OK, that's it for today. This episode was produced by Karishma Luthria and Camilla Hannan, who also did the sound design and mixing. Additional production by Kate Lyons. The executive producers of Full Story are Miles Martignoni, Gabrielle Jackson and me, Laura Murphy-Oates. OK. Catch you tomorrow.